Good morning. You believe it today, our God is greater, God is stronger, He's healer, and He makes beautiful things. And if you're a follower of Christ today, He has made you a beautiful thing. That's what He's done in His grace and His mercy. He has made you beautiful. And it's great to look upon these beautiful people of the Lord. And I'm so excited to be here uh, today and honored to, uh, to fill this pulpit for Sergey. Um, he has uh, been a great friend of mine since I've moved here. Um, just so you know, if you don't know who I am, my name is Dave Johnson, and um, I am a church planner who just moved here in, well, not just, but last July, uh, my family and I moved here um, to Chicago, and we are planting a new church in the two neighborhoods above here, which is the Lincoln Square, North Center area. And so we're not far away, and we're, we're starting church. And actually, we meet in this building in the evenings from 5.30 to 7 on Sunday nights. And so I do hope that you'll pray for us as uh, we've just begun that. This will be, I think, our fourth one tonight. Um, so uh, just pray for us. We're just a handful of people, and uh, we decided to go ahead and start with our services because we started two groups now, and we're excited about that. And so we wanted to have a time for those two groups to get together and worship, and uh, we hope to like make an official launch in, in September. It's kind of the target, but just pray for us that God will help us share the, the good news. I mean, that's really what we want to do. That's why I moved here, because, you know, this city is full of people who don't know it and don't have someone that they know who knows it. That's even worse. They don't even know somebody who knows it. I mean, you know... It's not, they, they, that's, they don't even have a, um, that was my big passion for coming here, was that they, they don't have a context for what real gospel life is and what it means to be changed and transformed by this good news. Um, and so that's what we hope to do, and I know that's what Christian Fellowship desires to do. And like I said, Sergey's just been a blessing to me, um, you know, just, just bringing it, putting his arm around us when we came in and just loving on us, and uh, we, you know, we're, we're blessed to worship with you for so long while we were here. My family and I enjoyed that time, and so we just ask for you to pray for us um, as we, we get started with Grace Covenant Church is the name of the church. So, All right, well, let's get started. We're going to dive into um, Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to pick up in the, uh, the series that you guys are doing here in Ephesians. Uh, one of the cool things that Sergey's done with me is uh, we both were deciding to go through Ephesians at the same time, so I'm just one sermon behind this. <laughs> so tonight we're actually working on the one you did last week. And uh, so uh, it was good. We sat down and kind of worked through this whole book together. It was a lot of fun, and I appreciate his, his knowledge of the Bible and his willingness to share it with me. And, um, and so we are going to be in verses 3, <clears throat> I'm sorry, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13 today. And so I'm going to read that for us. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for, Jesus, for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me 
by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word and to publicly hear it and speak it, Lord, to proclaim it. Father, we thank you for that. Uh, We thank you most for your spirit who's here, who works inside of us to understand it. And Lord, as um, as I preach today, let it be your words and not mine. Let it be about you and may you be glorified today. May your name be lifted up and exalted as we dig into this text. Help, help, our, help our hearts to understand what you're teaching us here and what we need to learn and how we need to move forward. Change our hearts by this text. Lord, just by hearing it, may our hearts be moved and changed. And we ask these things in the amazing and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. So, as I was planning to teach this text, I was thinking about how we fit in, and, and this, that's you know, the title that I've, I gave Sergey about this, is how we fit in and understanding the big picture of church, really getting an idea of what church is. And so, all the way up until this point in the book of Ephesians, that's what Paul's been developing. He's been teaching us about church. And so, I'm pretty sure uh, Sergey's been talking about how, it's kind of like a how-to when it comes to church itself. And as he gets wraps up this third chapter, he's, he's basically really giving you the picture of theology in the first three chapters. And he's going to go through a prayer, which is the next one. And then, and then after that, we're going to really dig into some practical things when it comes to how he really lived this out. But what he, what he sums up here in cha- at, the end, at the beginning of chapter 3 is really what the church is, what it's all about in this big picture. So as I was thinking about how I'm going to start this all off, I'm like, well, I'm going to go. I like to have a big story at the beginning and have this illustration. So as I'm looking for it, I run across this website, and this website says, um, it says, I want to be a part of something bigger. That's what it said. And so I start reading through these little captions, and, and there's just people from all over, all different age ranges. I mean, we're talking from 13 to grandparents, all posting on this thing, just different little blurbs. And every one of them had something in common. They all wanted to be part of something bigger. They all said, I just wish there was something I was a part of that was bigger than myself. I wish there was something beyond me that I could just fit in and be a part of that and, and make a difference inside of this bigger thing that's out there. That's what they all had this desire. As I'm reading it, I'm even realizing that I have that desire too. There's something in me that, like, let's, it just kind of irks at me that there's something bigger, there's something big that I'm supposed to be part of, and how do I fit into all that? And I'm sure, as I tell you this, some of you, are, that's registering into your heart, that there is something 
that I'm supposed to be part of, something I'm supposed to, to give into. Well, what I would like to petition to you today is that God gave you that desire. He put that in every single human. Because that wasn't a Christian website I was reading. That was just some website out there. And these people were all across the map where they were because they had their stories about what they were reading, what they were talking about. And, but the point is, every person in humanity has this desire to be a part of this greater thing. And the reason why is because God has built you to be that way. God built you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And that bigger thing is the church. And we're going to see why as we dig into this text. So first, let's look at Paul himself. We're going to look at three things, actually. Let me, let me run that down. As we go through this, we're going to have three different things you're going to see through this text and we're going to talk about. First, we're going to see that God revealed something to Paul, specifically to Paul. He showed him something special that he needed, that in turn, which is the second thing, he needed to tell others about. He needed to explain. He needed to give out this message. And it's the mystery of the Gentiles. And so he, there's this mystery that he needs to explain. And what we're going to see at the end, and the last thing we're really going to look at, is that big picture of the church. Because that's really what that mystery defines and lays out. And we're going to look at what that means for us and how we live that out. Okay? So first, let us start with Paul. Paul begins this, this section here. It's kind of weird. It's like he stops in the middle of the sentence. So he says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you heard of the stewardship. It's like, I don't know if anybody's ever seen that movie Up, but if you've watched the, uh, the, the cartoon movie Up for kids, any of you have children, you know this one. Um, there's a dog in there, and he goes, he, he gets really distracted, and he says, Squirrel! And he, as he's talking, he'll be talking to him, and he'll say, Squirrel! And he'll just look off the side. He's just totally distracted. And it's almost like Paul just went from, here's what I'm about to tell you, and then, oh, by the way, I need to tell you this over here. So he's going on this tangent. And this tangent goes from verse 2 all the way to verse 13. And then he picks back up and says almost the same thing in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees and he's going to pray for them. So right before he begins to pray, he says these things about him being a prisoner. And then he does this tangent. And that's where our whole section is today. But let's first look at what he says as he begins. He says, for, I, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, Notice he says, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Now, I'm not sure if Sergei has explained this, but he's writing this letter from prison. Okay? This, this letter is being written to the Ephesian church from a Roman jail. So when he says a prisoner, notice that he doesn't say a prisoner in the Roman jail. He says a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Paul automatically begins by a spiritual understanding of who he is and where he is. I think this is key for when we start to think about what church is. Paul, as he writes all over the place, every time he starts talking about himself and realizing where he's at, he always talks in a spiritual fashion with an understanding of who Jesus is and the fact that he's done what he's done for him. Okay? So Paul says, I'm a prisoner for Jesus. Though I'm in jail, I'm shackled, completely understand that Jesus put me here. Jesus put me in this place, in this jail, because I'm a prisoner for him and not for anybody else. Because he understands 
that God could destroy that Roman Empire like that if He wanted to. God could free him out of jail just like He did Peter. Just like He'd already done for Paul in the past. The Philippian jailer. Which brings into an idea that Paul is content where he's at and he completely understands that God put him there. Same thing, he actually mentions this to the, to the Philippians. In chapter 4 of Philippians, one of, the, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, he says, it doesn't matter whether I'm rich or whether I'm poor, I'm content wherever I'm at. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's where that verse is supposed to be, not in some context of a porch thing. That, that's, that's what it's about. It's contentment. I am where God wants me to be. And if you are a believer and you know Jesus today, that's where you are right now. Right where God wants you to be. Or else He'd move you. <laughs> Trust me, He will. But He's got you right where He's got you in the job He wants you to be in right now. He's got you in the school He wants you to be in. He's got you in the neighborhood He wants you to be in. Right beside the neighbors He wants you to be beside. Even though they might bug you to death. He's got you in the church He wants you to be in. God is in full control. He knows where you're supposed to be. He's got you there. And Paul gets that. Paul says that. He knows that he's a prisoner for Jesus. Then he says, I'm not only just I'm here for the Gentiles. He also understands his calling and what God's placed on his life. God's called him to preach to the Gentiles. Not to the Jewish people, even though he does. He goes to the synagogue. He, re he reasons with them every time he goes somewhere. He always talks to the Jews. But he knows that his purpose is to share for the Gentiles and tell them what we're about to talk about right now. He knows that that's the reason he's there. And he, the reason why he says that is because the Jews were the ones who put him there because he kept telling them, hey, the Gentiles are supposed to be part of us. And they're like, no way, forget that. We're not letting them in. We don't like them. They called them dogs. They thought it was evil to be around them. Just like sin would jump off of them onto you. That's the way they felt about the Gentiles. And so Paul was sitting here telling everybody, they're in, they're in. And they're like, no, they're not. Let's put him in jail. Let's kill him. And that's why he's in a Roman prison. Because of that message. And he knows, but he didn't back down. Because he's a prisoner of Christ. Because he knows Jesus is ultimate. Jesus is my center. I am going to live my life for him. That's Paul's mindset. As, as we... Dive into this text, we have to realize that's Paul's mindset. And I, I would argue that's supposed to be our, our mindset. But that's difficult. I mean, it's hard. You have to constantly get yourself there. You have to constantly remind ourselves of the gospel and what he's done for us and how he's transformed us to get our minds there so we can walk in that spiritual mindset of where God wants us to be. <clears throat> so, let's get into what he talks about here. <clears throat> Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. Now, here he talks about God's grace. Again, he's going to mention it in verse 7, which there gives us our two real main sections here of God's grace, and then he talks it all the way through 6, and then in verse 7 he's going to say, in God's grace, again, it was given to me. He understands this message was something that he did not deserve. That's what grace is. Every time you hear the word grace, think of, I'm getting something I did not deserve. Right? i got to always go there. I'm getting something I don't deserve. So he knows... He did not deserve to have this message and be given it out. 
But So he understands who's given it to him. It's God. And he's given him this mystery to explain to people. Now this mystery that he's explaining, he kind of already went over a little bit in our last, in your last section that we were in, 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 the first, in the last part of chapter 2. But he, reiter, he reiterates many of this, most of this stuff, and he doesn't say the word mystery. He's only said it, he said it in chapter 1, but here he says it again. And this, this Greek word here, just to clarify what it means. Now, most of the time when we hear the word mystery, think of a good mystery novel, think of something, you know, where you've got to find some clues and figure it all out. You know, something hidden, something dark, something I need to know. Okay? The word mystery that he's using here and what it means for the context that he's writing it in is more of something that you have to be initiated in to get the knowledge. In order to get the truth and to get this, um, this uh, understanding, you have to be initiated into the club in a way. Okay? Now, it's not some special... It's, it's knowledge that God gives. It's understanding that can only be given through the Spirit who opens your heart to see it who awakens you from the dead, remember in chapter 2, that you're raised from the dead. And when you're raised from the dead, you come into this understanding. You're able to get this mystery. You're able to get this, this kind of knowledge that other people can't have. And that is that you are now a part of this amazing thing called the church. This new society that God is making. So he goes on to say that these people are given... All right, hold on. Verse 6. <clears throat> oh, hold on. I've got to hit verse 5. Sorry. Skipping something. Which was, not, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations that has now been revealed. Okay, so this mystery is this secret, kind of secret knowledge, but it's knowledge that's given spiritually, is that the Gentiles, who were once separated from the Jews, are now come together. Okay? They are now come together into this new society, this new humanity that God is making. Now here he says in verse 5 that it's like a, um, it's not been known up until now. Now some of you may say, wait a minute, wasn't Abraham to all the nations? Wasn't it, you know, isn't it always been that God was going to reach everybody, not just the Jewish people? The Jewish people were just this symbol of what God was going to do with everyone? Yes, that's true, but everyone on the outside didn't know that. That's why it's not really been revealed to everyone else. The Gentiles had not heard this message that they were all included. Right? Up until this point. But he says, now the holy apostles and the prophets, which he's talking specifically here about the New Testament, have now explained what Jesus did and that it was not just for the Jews, but it was for everybody. Okay? He said, those who are far off and those who are near... In the, in the passage before. He said, those who are far off were the Gentiles, those who are near, have now had this opportunity to have peace. Through the work of what Jesus has done, they now are able to come to the Father. They now are able to come to God and be in communion with Him. Because up until that point, when Jesus did what He did, it was only this faith that they had in what Christ was going to do. But at that moment, that history changed everything. The Gospel is history. The Gospel is not this mystical thing that you got. It's history. It's a historical event that a man named Jesus was God Himself. And he was born in a manger and He lived this perfect life. He obeyed every single law that God had for us to obey. He was perfect. He met the standard that God expects of you and I. 
And he lived that out, and then he took that perfect, unblemished lamb life, right? That's what that lamb's all about. That's what those animals were, unblemished. That perfection, and he laid it on a cross, and he let us kill him. So that he could trade us the life that he had in order to take away our sin. There's a transformation that happens where He takes away all of your sins when you place that faith in Him and you trust that cross and you believe what He did. He takes away your sin and gives you His righteousness. It's the most amazing transfer in all of history when that happens to each one of your lives. And that's why you're beautiful things. (laughs) That's what makes it so beautiful because now His blood has just been spilt all over you. And it seems weird to talk like that, but it's such great news that now I'm covered by His holiness. And when God looks down on me, He doesn't go, well, you didn't do this right, and you didn't do this right, and you didn't do this right. He goes, no, because of Jesus, you did everything right. And now you're my child, and you're in the family, and I love you. And that's great news. Oh my goodness, I want to jump jump around. It's just such good news, because that's what makes us different. That's what makes us in here. Because I'm pretty sure, I don't know where everybody is in ethnicity here, but I'm pretty sure I'm speaking to mostly Gentiles in the room. Unless you grew up Jewish, you know, and that's, you know, you understand your place too. But most of us are Gentiles. I know I am. And now we're in. We're in. We're part of this. Because of what He's done. And He goes on to say that they're co-heirs in, the, in, this, in this family of what God was doing. In verse 6, that's the mystery. The Gentiles are fellow heirs. They're members of the same body and partakers of this promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. So this pro- all the promises that were there, Christ fulfilled them and now is giving them to everyone. They were now into this. We're now a part of this if you're a believer today. Now if you're not a believer today, come. Come to Christ. He has given you the sacrifice. Come to Him. And let Him cover all of that. Because you cannot meet that standard. But for those of us who are in there, who have believed, who have trusted, and He has transformed, that's where we are. And He has given us, He's, he's changed everything around. When that, when that event happened in history, something new was created that changed everything. Before, there was this people of God and this symbol of what would be. And that they had this community, they were dwelling with God, and they were part of God. But God was not in them like He is. When the Holy Spirit comes down and has transformed us into this new creation, He dwells in us and He dwells among us. We'll see that among us at the end here. But He dwells in us. And now we are this new society that has never existed up until this point. There were those who were part of that in the past by their faith and what they would be a part of that, but they didn't get to enjoy the Christian this, this, this Christian community that God has created called the church because it didn't exist up until Christ. And so this, this whole thing is, is God's design. That's what He wants to do is bring us together uh, around this great news of the Gospel because it's through the Gospel that we're co-heirs, that we're part of the same body, that we partake of the promises. It's through the Gospel that that happens. Right? Okay, so that's that great message Paul was revealed. Right? He was given this message. He goes on to say <clears throat> that he needs to proclaim it. Verse 7, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. <clears throat> to me, 
Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. Now he's gonna he's not just gonna preach to the Gentiles. We're gonna see he does three different things. He preaches to the Gentiles, he preaches to everyone, and we also see that it preaches we will see the church preaches to the heavenly places. We'll get there in a second. Let me first get to the fact that he claims to be the least of all the apostles. Now this is just not self deprecation of Paul. Paul is just being a humble man. He realizes where the power comes from, that it's through the power of the Spirit that he has the working of his power, he says at the end of verse 7. He understands that that's where the power comes from. And I I know I quote this a ton of times, but I'll I'll say it a million more because it's just one of my favorite quotes ever. Spurgeon uh, said, you've never learned anything from a man about God. You've only learned from God about God. Because the Holy Spirit works in your heart to hear and open your heart to hear that truth. And the Holy Spirit is working through me to speak that to you. So if you hear anything, it's not because Dave's any good at what he's doing. It's because God is speaking. And He is talking to your heart and to mine. Because I'm learning as I teach. This is why I love this. And it's God. He's talking to us. And Paul understands that. Paul realizes how little he is in the midst of all this. But at the same time, he understands he's an apostle. He calls himself an apostle. He knows his position. He's not downgrading what God has made him as a proclaimer and a preacher of this good news, but he understands in humility where his place is when it comes to speaking the Word of God to other people. That's just a, it's a beautiful thing to see of Paul and a beautiful thing for us, even if you're not a preacher, to see as you proclaim the truth who really is working. Who's really speaking it out to other people when you share with other people about this good news? Who is it? And who can you trust to work in them? Not you. That's God that moves them to Himself. He's the one that draws people in. Trust in Him. Share the Gospel. And trust God to do it. That's the way Paul thinks about this. He understands his place. So what is he preaching to them? He's preaching the unsearchable riches Christ. Let me name a few of those things. They include the resurrection from the death of sin, victorious enthronement with Christ in the heavenlies, reconciliation with God, incorporation with Jewish believers in this new society, the end of hostility and the beginning of peace, access to the Father through Christ and by the Spirit, membership of His kingdom and household being an integral part of His dwelling place among men. And all this, only a foretaste of yet more riches to come, namely the riches of the glory of the inheritance which God will give to all His people on the last day. That's just a little bit of what all that is. (laughs) That's a whole lot of good stuff is what that is. When he talks about that unsearchable, here's a few other words that... um, people have tried to use to explain it because this that Greek word is so complex. Here's some of the words people have used. Unsearchable, inexplicable, untraceable, unfathomable, inexhaustible, illimitable, inscrutable, incalculable, but I believe the best one is infinite. That's how amazing these riches are. What He is going to give 
these Gentiles and as well the Jews and everyone else who comes in because once they come in, there is no difference between them, right? Once they're in, they have all these all these spiritual blessings that I've named and many, many, many more. We can't even fathom. We will always be learning about it. People think about what, what's it going to be like in heaven. I'm going to be more, learning more and more about the riches of Christ and His blessings towards me. I'm not going to be a little fat baby on a, with a harp on a cloud. right? I'm going to be listening to God tell me about how much He loves me and how much He loves you. And how awesome this is going to be to spend eternity with him about that. That's what heaven is like. So these riches, he's trying to explain to these Gentiles. He wants them to know what this is. But not only is he explaining it to the Gentiles, he's also explaining this mystery to everyone else. Okay, so at the end of 8, Unsearchable riches of Christ, nine, and to bring to light everyone what is the plan of his mystery, hidden for, all, for, all, for ages in God who created all things. So he's bringing to light what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God. He mentions the Creator here. He's talking about this mystery that's being revealed in that we are now a part of this new, this new plan for what he's trying to do. He's talk, he says the word enlightened. He says, I want them to their, their eyes to be open and brightened to this. Like you're in a dark room and someone turns on the light and they, you can see everything in there, right? If you don't have the light on, you trip over and you fall over, right? But you have the light on, you see it all. He's saying, I want it revealed. I want it enlightened. I want them to see all of this goodness that God has created. And that's for every man to see that. And the emphasis here is, not, is more about the church itself and what God is trying to do, that He's created this new society of people who are going to live together and be a different world for everyone else. We are supposed to be set apart because of Christ. Now, I've been reading this great book. If you get a chance to read it, Bonhoeffer's Life Together, wonderful book. Um, I encourage everyone to read it. It's short, short, 100 pages, 115 maybe. It's a great book. The guy just really just dives into what it means to be living in Christian community. And one of the things that he does in the very beginning of the book is he talks about the fact that it's not about experience, but it's about truth. And that that hit me so hard. I was reading it this week. It hit me so hard that I, I, even as I start to plant the church and try to start a community, because I mean, that's what I'm doing, trying to start this new community of believers, I have this expectation of experience that I want to see happen inside of a church. That we all just, you know, it's all lovey-dovey and we're all happy together and woo, we're excited about Jesus, you know, and it's just wonderful. We're celebrating Him. And that just, just doesn't happen a lot. You know, it's just, you know, and I'm like, is it, I feel disappointed, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, I want more, I want more. And Bonhoeffer just nails it to the wall and says, it is not about your experience. It is about the truth. And the truth is, you're changed. And so is that other person. And when you're together, that's Christian community. And I don't care what you think about it. And I was like, whoa, well that just smacked me in the face. That was, that felt, that was hard. That hurt. But it was true. 
Because Jesus has changed us. If it's true, if you're a believer and I'm a believer and we're hanging out together, there's Christian fellowship. There's Christian community. And it's going to be ugly and it's not going to be pretty. But the truth is the Gospel and what He's done and He's transformed us. And the truth is, He said, I'm not going to leave them where they are. He's the author and finisher of your faith. He's going to complete what He started in you. Those are what the Bible says about me who's in Christ and you who are in Christ. And so if I believe all those things about Christian community, I'm not here to experience the warm fuzzies. I'm here because I'm excited about what God's going to do in you. And I hope you're excited about what God's going to do in me. And we're going to trudge through it no matter how ugly this thing is because the truth is we're changed and we're different. And that is what Christian community is. Man, he floored me. I, got, I, mean, I'm just, I still don't even get it completely. I'm just preaching it out because it was just good. It just rocked my world. And I, I just hope you just, just take a look at that book and, and just get into it. But I, the point, just that truth, that's what it is. It's that truth that he's done this for us. And that's what Paul's trying to explain to all everybody, right? He's, he's explaining those riches to the Gentiles. The Jews kind of already understood those riches because they've been hearing them forever. But now he's explaining it to everybody what this new community is supposed to be. Now here's the interesting thing. The third group of people or things that he's talking to is in verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities That just said that angels are are going to learn about God's wisdom from this. That's what that said. And I had to read it several times the first time I read that. I was like, whoa, did that just say? Wait a minute. The heavenly places is definitely not... Some people have tried to take this verse and just run with it in bad directions. Of The church is going to change Chicago and the government and everything else. And they've tried to use this for for the principalities thing to mean, you know, governments and human things. But that is clearly not what he's talking about. Because the word heavenly places is used over and over in, in Ephesians. It's one of the themes that runs throughout the book of Ephesians. You see it in chapter 1, you see it in chapter 2, you see it in chapter 3, we're going to see it in chapter 6. Over and over again, he's talking about heavenly places, and this is the heavenly understanding of what's going on on earth. That's what he really is picturing when he says that heavenly places every time. And so, he's actually saying the revelation is going to go backwards. The revelation has come down to Paul, from Paul, into everyone else to understand this whole idea of church. And then once that church community forms, it's going to go back up and it's going to go to heaven. And, And the angels are going to get a picture of God's wisdom, His manifold wisdom, as He brings these people together. That's just cool. That's what that is. And manifold wisdom, that's really neat. Is this whole word manifold? Actually, in the Greek, means multicolored. I love that idea. That it's going to be everybody. That all the nations are going to be a part of this thing called church. And it's going to be a beautiful picture of this multicolored tapestry. Everyone's fitted together. No matter where you are, what status of life, or what color you are, we're all going to be the same in this body of Christ, in this new humanity, living together. And that challenges me about how I think about other people and where they are and how different they are from me. You know? Because God wants to bring them in and be a part of this. So there should be no room for racism, no room for this social class thing that happens, 
None of that in, this, in these walls. And at any time it happens in here, it should be stamped out quickly. Because that's not what this is about. God is trying to use this to help the angels get understand Him. And this manifold wisdom is how He's doing it. And we need to be, come on in. Whoever you are, wherever you are, come on in. Let God change you and use you in different ways. He's done for me. Let's celebrate that and worship Him. So let's look at this big picture. And we'll, I'll wrap it up here. He says, in verse 11, this is according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. One church father said, God is our father and church is our mother. <laughs> the whole reason why he was trying to say that was the church is very, 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 is not a Sunday thing. This is God's plan for history. When you think about everything that's happened in history and all what what comes to mind? Wars, you know, treaties, you know, all the there's some church stuff in there, but some bad ones, right? <laughs> there's all kinds of stuff. You know, people bring that up to you when you're sharing the gospel with them. What about the church doing this and the church doing that? There's all kinds of stuff. History is what man has done. You know, all the wars and all the things and all the nations that have come and gone. But in God's history books, Christ came, changed everything, and made the church. And the church was the purpose of it. To create this new community. That's God's That's His plan. That's his eternal purposes. That's what he's planned on all along was to make this thing. For us to be part of it. We're part of history. You're part of something much bigger than you can ever imagine. God's brought you here to be a part of it. And to join in. And to celebrate him. Because this community... This is the next thing. He says that you have boldness to come to the Father, you're able to walk in with boldness and see Him. That, that this community together, because He's talking about community here. He's talking about corporate. He's not just talking about you and your prayer life and your prayer closet. He's talking about us together get to come to Him. When we pray here and we're praying together, we're all in the throne room of God boldly before Him asking Him to do stuff. That's, and, and He sees us collectively together doing that. Because that's part of the gospel itself. The gospel is for the church to happen. The historical event of the gospel makes the church happen. So when I'm sharing the truth to people about what God's done for them, I want to add in that He wants them to be a part of this community. He wants them to be a part of this new humanity that He's created, this new society that He's created inside the church. That needs to be a part of my gospel presentation even. I need to share that with people. I want them to know this is not just a Sunday morning thing. This is something I live out. Which leads me into the last thing. The last verse he says, So I ask you so not to lose heart of what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. This is your glory. You, we need to live this. Paul understands 
the gravity of what is being told here. And he's saying, if I'm suffering for it and I'm being put in prison for it, understand that me sharing this message of this mystery, of this church thing that's happening, is for your glory. It's for God's glory. It's for what He's doing. So be a part of it. Live it out as Paul was willing to do. Pour in here in these people. Join in. If, if you're not a member here today, I'm just going to challenge you to become one. I'm, I'm not even a member here, and I'm telling you to do that. right? I mean, I'm a member of another church. I want, if you're here today and you like this place, join. Be part of this family. There's something to actually saying, I want to be a member. I want to join in. I want to be a part of it. Now, Sergey did not get me to do this, okay? So this is totally from me, all right? He didn't say, tell him to join. He didn't tell me that, all right? He didn't say that at all. I'm telling you, it's important for you to commit and to be a part because you're a part of this family. Join in a Christian fellowship and celebrate what they're doing. Now, you may think, well, I don't know if I like that thing or I don't know if I like this or I'm not sure if I like that or not. You're a family. Join in. Care about what others care about. Care about the heart that God has given your leadership here. One of the things for special needs, I'm blown away by the way they care about them. Not enough churches do. Join in and help them. Join in and and be this member outside of here. Not Not just doing stuff and doing events or whatever. That you're a member of this church to go out and be a member in the community. When you live in your house, in your neighborhood, wherever you are, you're a member here. You're the church. The church has never been, and hopefully never will be, a building. It is people. It will always be that. That's what God was creating. A new humanity, not a new building. Right? Because when you do that, you are being a part of something much bigger than you can ever imagine. And you never know what God's going to do with that. You may never see it. Join into this community. Celebrate what God has done through each one, in each one of you. And then you just and live it out together. That's, that's what I encourage you to do. I, I really believe that's what this passage is pushing us to. This mystery... As we do that, as we do that as a family, one of the wonderful things that we get to do is we get to celebrate and meet our people. And this meal is so amazing. It's so important to what we do. It's a part of our new society. It's a part of that new humanity that is put together. Because we're celebrating what he did. He sacrificed everything and went through so much torture that we could ever not even imagine in order to make this right here happen, what we're about to do. Come up and celebrate this meal together. So as we do that, let us thank Him in prayer, in confession, and in Father, we thank You so much for Your mercy, for Your grace, We thank you for this table that you've set before us. 
Lord, a table in your presence that you have said you're here and that you have built us up to become your temple, Lord. Lord, we get to celebrate your presence. We get to celebrate what you've done. This historical event in the Gospels that these elements represent. Let us not come lightly here. Let us confess our sins today. Lord, our sins of selfishness. Lord, of, of um, expectations upon church that should not be there. God, let us confess that before you today. Any other sin that is hindering us in, in our walk with you. We thank you that your blood covers all of that. And let us come with a repentant heart before you today. In Jesus' name.